So hi, welcome to another episode of USF Data Science Podcast. Um, I'm Cody Carroll. I'm joined with Robert Clemens, co-host. Yep. And today we have um, Hadley Dixon. Hadley is a undergrad BSDS student at the University of San Francisco. She's my student currently in, in our linear regression class. And yeah, we're happy to have her here. Um, Thank I'm excited you. to happy talk. To be here. Yeah, welcome. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, so you were a undergraduate in data science. So, of course, the first question is, how did you actually get into data science? How did you choose data science as a major? Um, well, I didn't at first. I was originally studying political science at University of Oregon. Mm-hmm. But like one month before I um, got to school, I watched this documentary that was how data science is used in politics. and I guess, how do you apply that other than just I was sitting behind a computer and coding? And I didn't really even know what data science was, but about a about like a year into my program there, I added it as a double major. Um, but my interest in it came a lot from, I guess, the application of algorithms and how they affect people's behavior. Uh, I took this class, like, it was like AI and philosophy or something. And mm-hmm. then I followed it up with the same professor, data ethics. And those two just like, like rocked my world. That was so interesting. We studied all these like original, like AI foundational pieces from like the sixties and stuff. And then we applied it to, you know, how bias is built into algorithms and stuff in more modern day terms. But that was super interesting. And and I've always liked math. I've, I've, I've I had never touched programming before until my second or third year of college, but math has always been my my, my gist. I, I love that. Um, yeah, even all throughout high school and younger than that, too. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. When you were when you were in high school, did you did you know that you wanted to go into political science? Like, how, how did you make that uh, decision um, first? I found it really interesting. It was just like a side kind of passion of mine is yeah. I just was really, I really like politics. I really like keeping up to date about what's going on. But I wasn't the strongest writer. So political science, there's a little bit of math, but as soon as I figured out the data science was a, a route and not only that, but like how it can be applied to like so many different things. I was yeah. like, I, I can I can do this. Plus I've always been like, I don't know, math has math. I just like puzzle aspect of it. I like solving, totally. solving the problems and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's one of my like favorite things about data science and statistics and applied math is like, figuring out, okay, what am I passionate about? And then how can I apply math and data science to it? I think it's just a nice way to make something that feels maybe not as inclusive or as like open to people like, okay, maybe they don't want to study pure theoretical statistics or whatever, but they do like these specific things and they do have a quantitative skill. So it's like, okay, let me study these data science topics and figure out how I can use them to, I don't know, have some impact, have some application. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's something that I don't think like a traditionally like strictly math major, or strictly comp sci major. I think I had a hard time expanding from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed just kind of daunting to be just tied down to like, I don't know, the application of a math major is less than I guess data science. Right, um, right. And it's like, well, it just depends on like, what where you fall on like the applied to theoretical spectrum like yeah i think it's some of it i think it's it's just easier to see a lot of the applied stuff and have it be like right now i can apply this and make some difference and try to try to figure something out 
force, I think it's easier to help for yeah. me at least. Um, math, it's like, sometimes I feel like math, you're, you're helping, but you're helping people in the future. Like you don't know who's gonna need this math at, right now, but like eventually this could be a, uh, you know, a necessary piece to a puzzle later on. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a problem with a lot of academic research, mm -hmm. right? Is yeah. what you're working on um, tends to be a very small piece of a very large, yeah, large puzzle. And you know, maybe in your lifetime, you never actually see any benefit from the research that you do now. Right, mm -hmm. right. And it doesn't mean it's it's not useful or not helpful. It's just like, whoa, you're ahead of it. Like, we we don't get to see when it, when it comes into to play, right? It's nice. Yeah, I feel like it just totally depends on what you want to do and everything. But something about teaching feels a, a little bit more organic to me, a little bit more like, I don't know if I could say like vibey, right? But it's like, <laughs> oh, I know I'm doing something good. Whereas like if I'm doing something for a corporation or for some application, it's like, okay, well, I don't really know how that helps the whole world. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Not saying they're always good, always bad, but it's less understandable to me, right? Yeah, even at a company, you are that very, very small cog, right? You're yeah. that very, very small piece of a puzzle. Totally. And so for some people, they can see that and they see that they're this small piece of this bigger puzzle. Yeah. And that gives them the reward. Right. It just right. didn't give me any reward. Totally, right? And that's totally. okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, even from an undergraduate's point of view, like the kids can feel that kind of like passion. I just had this conversation like probably Friday with um, some of my classmates about how the math department specifically, but the, like the math, the stats department is just like, it's so different than all the other people we've talked to in different majors who they'll they'll come back from study sessions or they'll come back from like office hours and stuff. And it's just not, um, they don't get that same reward of like welcoming and community and just like you can walk into anyone's office in the math and stats department and they are happy to explain anything to you. And like, they'll want to, like they've, you can tell that they find it exciting to get to explain that to you. Yeah. Um, it's just a totally different than I've seen in like even like marketing or accounting or anything like else. Like USF math and stats is definitely something something special. For sure. Yeah, it's always good to have teachers yeah. like that. Thanks. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. So you're wrapping up, right? You're almost done. This yeah. is your senior year. Yeah. Um, so anything like looking back, you know, when you were first thinking about getting into data science as a major, I mean, any um, advice for maybe uh, someone just coming into undergrad or a freshman who's still trying to figure things out and they're thinking about data science? Um, yeah, definitely try not to get too caught up in the technical aspects of it because I was like not a seasoned coder, nothing like that. And it just seems super overwhelming and super, especially at Oregon where it was such a big school, it seemed like everyone else had been coding since right. middle school. Like right. it was just super, super overwhelming. But once I started talking to more and more people and under asking why they were interested, I got to see like, oh, well, this person wants to work on video game design. This person wants to do sports analytics. And there was just really interesting applications of it and seeing like finding your niche, I guess, as opposed to getting caught up in, oh, I don't know how to do this, mm -hmm. this type of math yet. Or I don't know how to do like program in this kind of way or in this kind of language like those will come later, but if you're motivated by that external goal of like, oh, this is something I'm passionate about and you can apply it to this, like, at least for me, it's like, I like, it'd be cool to do something in politics, but use data to, to, to expand into that. It's like, that is what's motivating me to like, you know, get through some of the harder technical stuff. 
Right. But, and I, yeah. I, I love what you said about, okay, wherever I am in my understanding, you found it helpful to talk to your other students and figure out, okay, what do they know? Mm-hmm. How, how are they, can I use their piece to help me figure out my piece, right? Because I feel like that's the magic thing about a classroom is like, everyone understands a slightly different piece of it. Mm-hmm. And when we start to talk to each other, as opposed to get stuck in like, I'm feeling insecure because I don't understand something. I don't want to let it be known that I understand something. We start to talk to each other. And it's like, oh, we feel in the, the picture much faster and much more clear in, in, it's just, I don't know. It's super cool. It's amazing. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's, and that's part of like what you're saying, like when, when you're talking about creating this welcoming and supportive environment, it's like letting everyone share their little piece. Right. And mm-hmm. making sure that people can ask questions and people can say like, hang on, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's the most, that's so important. Yeah. I think, um, I agree. It's like, remember that a lot of people, everybody comes from a different background and there's so much involved in data science and all the machine learning and all the coding and everything. And it's, it is easy to just kind of drown in all of it. If mm-hmm. you take it all at once and just think that, you know, there's no way I can learn all of this right in a yeah. couple of years. Yeah. But, no, yeah, and yeah. that's... Um, I was going to say, even expanding on that, I don't think people talk about, especially the newer students, like younger students, they don't talk about how much they fail, I don't mm-hmm. think. Right. Um, there's been classes I've had to withdraw from or classes I've had to like retake. Even like, I think I took linear algebra three times. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think that was something I knew as a freshman, that this is just a common thing that happens. Um, right. Especially if you're already feeling like a little insecure in your right. in your skill. but. The more you talk to your peers, you'll you'll hear that all the time. You'll hear that it was it didn't come naturally for them, or how much work they actually put in behind right. the scenes. Totally, and yeah. especially like what you were saying about technical things, like whether it's technical in math, technical in coding, is understanding that you don't have to understand it all the way to the bottom, all the way at once. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to be like, okay, I get this part of it, and that's going to help me do my homework. It's going to help me for a test. It would be nice if I could understand it all the way to the bottom, and I would see the whole thing and. That is, we will work towards that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, sometimes it's not a realistic thing, right? Yeah, not at all. In a semester, in a year to be like, okay, I got to see all the way to the to the bottom. You, sometimes you need that for like doing research and like asking which questions to ask and like how to build on it. But like while you're learning, it's about just getting whatever you can to, to make progress because the momentum is how we keep going and how we fill in you know, if you get stuck, it's just like, oh, it feels so terrible, right? Yeah. No, that was definitely something. Even, um, like, Professor Wilson, who teaches at the program at one point, um, mm-hmm. but I had him last semester. Yeah. And he, the whole class kind of got rocked when we realized that we were only understanding things probably like 60 or 70%. And we had come from maybe our more fundamental math classes that were, like, calculus three. Like, you either know it or you don't. Like, there's one answer. But, like, with, with, with the stats, everything was so new and in such a new format that we... Uh, and it was so theory based that mm-hmm. understanding that 60% is like, that's, that, that's good. That's majority. And, yeah. and by the end of it, you will realize that you've learned more through the osmosis of things as mm-hmm. opposed to making sure you know every topic to the fullest extent by the time that it's introduced. Like that's very unrealistic. Yeah. And the, and the further you keep going, the more those pieces will click into place. Yeah, exactly. In the past, you're like, oh, I, didn't, I never understood this before, but now, mm-hmm. now I get to, you know. Yeah, See seeing it. it in different contexts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I mean, even our incoming graduate students are 
kind of the same way. You know, some of them, a lot of them come from different backgrounds. They don't all have the same technical background with software development or machine learning, although some do, right? Um, So as part of the program, in order to help everybody gain those skills, we do that as, you know, part of the the practicum, right? So the practicum is basically like an internship. Um, Every student in the master's program, they they do a practicum for nine months with the company. Um, They pair up on projects and they, these are, Real companies with with real, you know, company problems, right, that these students get to solve. And as part of the practicum, that's how they learn a lot of these skills that maybe they've taken courses on in the past, but don't feel like maybe, you know, that they've actually absorbed everything, right? This is the perfect opportunity for them to really hone those skills. Coding plus stats plus um, machine learning, yeah. modeling, analysis, presentations, right? Communication, yeah. everything. Figuring out their specific domain and the domain knowledge, like what, what language do I even need to know to be able to communicate what I did to someone who's at this company that maybe is not a data scientist or a statistician, right? So many things to, to piece together. And it's impossible to really learn them all in nine months or even like a career maybe, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, things are just so big, right? And even each practicum is unique as far as the methodology. We've got somebody, he works full-time on trying to bring in enough practicums for everybody. Yes, you know, yeah. Keep everybody happy. Yeah, shout right. out to Victor. Yeah. <laughs> so important. <laughs> the hardest working, hardest working person. <laughs> How about um, outside of data science, outside of like school and work? Like, yeah. What are you, what, what kind of interests do you have? What are you motivated by? I like running. My mm-hmm. dad's a personal trainer. Oh, and cool. So, like, I... I did. I created the running club at USF, but I ran all the time. I just did a half marathon in November and will probably continue to do that once a year for as long as I can. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. But yeah, no, I've been running like forever. Um, But other than that, I'm really just making the most of the city, I suppose. Coming Mm -hmm. from coming from Oregon, it was this was where I wanted to go. And I finally got the opportunity to. And so I was like, I'm just going to gonna do everything like I, I just like being outside i like um mm-hmm. i'm always at like either ocean beach or golden Gate park or anything like that um but yeah a lot of it has to do with like outdoors and exercise and anything yeah. around the sorts I, I like attempted to get my personal training certification too but i just got too busy so for sure yeah, yeah in that, due my, time in due time it, it, it'll happen at one point or another yeah um yeah definitely i think that's such a such a great point that i feel like you figured out something that a lot of people need to figure out when they're moving here when they're starting this program when they're dealing with a lot of things right yeah. it we need to be out there in our city out there in our community experiencing it and like not cut off from it because it helps, right? I don't know Absolutely. why, I don't know how, but it keeps, it gives us the energy to keep going, especially with these like really hard tasks. And yeah. it's like, of course it's overwhelming. We have so much work to do, but somehow we have to have that balance, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I find I I, I work part-time during the school year, but mm-hmm. I will like clean people's houses around the city. Yeah. And it seems relatively boring, I guess, but it's a really nice mental break from like, I don't know, like I'll come from the library, I'll come from class and I'm just like either overwhelmed or I'm just like kind of academically tapped out. And I just get to step away for like four or five hours and just kind of put my head down, listen to music and just, you know, do something that's relatively simple. But yeah, Yeah. the whole getting out of your head and kind of going somewhere else that isn't necessarily the classroom. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I always think 
um, I love getting to experience different parts of the city and especially like getting to see inside people's houses and like how people <laughs> yeah. live. So I bet that's kind of like a fun oh, part of it. Oh, it's super cool. Yeah. It's super, super cool. And it's nice because like they, they, they trust you and you're relatively a stranger. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's nice. I've met, I've met so many cool people, um, and like worked also alongside so many cool people, like, like chefs and, and stuff like mm-hmm. this. It's, it's fascinating because the city is full of every kind of person you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so Hadley, um, I think uh, right now we just wanted to give you a quick little rapid fire quiz. So we're just going to ask you a bunch of uh, technical questions, you know, that um, I think pretty suitable for most uh, people learning data science right now, or maybe uh, interested in getting into data science. Uh, we don't have to overthink these. You can answer as quickly as possible. It's no big deal. And, and it doesn't matter if you get them wrong or right. Okay. So, okay. Perfect. In the end, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. All right. Same. Okay, so first question is, what does SQL stand for? I have no clue. Okay, (laughs) that's fine. I don't think I did either until my first job. It's kind of a funny thing because you just call it SQL, so you're like, well, I never, (laughs) I never looked at the Wikipedia and said like, well, what, what is this actually? I honestly don't think I'll even touch it till next semester. I have never worked with it. Oh, cool. So you're gonna take um, BSDS 200 next semester? Okay, nice. I I didn't learn it until my first job, so yeah, no, no, even worry. It's an interesting one, yeah. So it's like structured query language, right? And it is a language that helps you access, manipulate, and you know, extract, transforms, load from like databases, right? Basically, almost every role I know, yeah, there's a part where you need to know SQL and, and apply it's, it to your problem. Right? Yeah. Rule of thumb is if you can do what you need to do with the data in SQL, you should mm-hmm. just do it in SQL. Okay. Like, don't pull the data out and try to do it in Python locally. If you can actually write a query that'll do exactly what you need, you should just you okay. should just do it there. So then, what's an example where I would prefer to use like R Python over that? Then, well, if it's like let's say R, right? Mm-hmm. R is specialized for it has a lot of statistical tools. It has a lot of packages that the, there are methods in there that um, researchers are coding up and they're not necessarily translated to other packages right mm-hmm. sql is kind of you know you can it is surprising how much you can do in there but yeah. not, and it's not necessarily the nicest or the easiest to write the code of how to do a bunch of stuff so if you are able to write the sql code get it into a nice format and then read it into r you can use let's say you could do your more like complicated and technical and interesting methodological pieces in r right yeah um or yeah. like database, right? Like if you wanted yeah. to use ggplot, like okay, yeah. that's like a yeah. top of the line data visualization, like super high quality. Um, and I think it's pretty intuitive thing to learn. And you're not going to be able to do that in SQL, right? Like Now, SQL only returns numbers, right? right. So if you right. need to do any <laughs> okay, statistics yeah. or things like that, you can do them in SQL. But, and we could probably talk about this forever, but um, <laughs> I'll just say one last point. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, ChatGPT is like really good at writing SQL queries, mm-hmm. um, just because of the way the language is set up. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, even though it is hard to figure out how to do some of those things in SQL, at least you know it uh, it lends itself yes. to asking very naturally, how do I you know choose these columns and group by this column and calculate the you know moving average over this other time column or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, it's like it's a nice it's a nice way to learn programming too. Like have ChatGPT help help yeah. get you started, right? Yeah. Examples of syntax and and like, okay, I don't know everything. I know part of it. Oh, here, this can help me fill in the gaps. And yeah. No, it's been super useful. I've, I've just learned Java this semester for the first time, and I didn't take the, the 
prereq for Java, so I'm like jumping into like a like 200 level course for that. Whoa. So I was like, hey, ChatGPT, like explain this in normal people terms. Like, yeah, help, I don't yeah. know what this is doing. Like, and totally. it, yeah, getting that recap is super super helpful. Mm -hmm. yeah. I believe it. Wow, that's intense. I still have never taken Java or learned any of, of it. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, what about EDA? What does that stand for? <laughs> no clue either. Um, so, so here, let me give you a hint. Like okay. we do this when we, like before we go into our regression analysis, mm -hmm. a lot of times it's like, we want to look at the data. We want to get a, you know, a, okay. a foundational understanding. It's something data analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's like, Let's it's helping start. us. Yeah, exactly. So EDA is like, exploratory data analysis. Okay, like, okay. You know, just getting our summary stats, how do we visualize it? What are we what are we starting to expect from our data before we go into any specific modeling or making assumptions about it? How am I going to get just my my common sense intuition about about the data set? Okay, and then like I guess in relevance to your class is like mm -hmm. Would that be how we get information of like I like figuring out which variables like we would need to have in our model just based on common sense before we actually yeah. build them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's one I know you know because uh, we just <laughs> talked about it in class, right? So how about this? Um, how is lasso regression different from just ordinary least squares regression? Yeah, we did just do this in class. Um, <laughs> this is it helps in model selection. So mm -hmm. you will like shrink, but usually snap some coefficients to zero. So you're eliminating some variables in your model that might not be super great predictors for for whatever you're trying to predict. Yeah, 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 totally. Maybe we, you went to, uh, maybe, okay, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. <laughs> of course. Um, what about, uh, how, how do I implement lasso? Like, what am I changing? Yeah, you're adding like a regularization um, mm -hmm. uh, term to your beta. So it, re it reduces your, your variance in your model because if you build models that have variables that are like super correlated or there's there's some kind of issue that will cause air, like problems down the line. Like mm -hmm. you don't you want a model that's stable. You don't want a model that's that's going to blow up on you in terms of variance. Right. Um, and that will predict like consistently as opposed to um, all over the place with different changes in um, your predictors. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's tapping into the variance bias trade off. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And saying like I'm going to add a little bit of bias to my mm -hmm. model just to stabilize and make sure that like my estimates aren't going crazy. Yeah. And overall, this is this is a kind of sacrifice I'm willing to make because in the end it's going to improve my um, models like mean square error yeah. right and so yeah yeah awesome <laughs> feeling <laughs> good my head, yeah. yes yes <laughs> nice you can go for the next one yeah so uh, who coined the term data science um I have a f I feel like it was sometime in the 2010s, but I don't know who did it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I might have heard this before. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It's kind of a tricky question, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't even know that people agree. Okay. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I would say it's a trick question because <laughs> there's so many people who have claimed credit. Yes. Okay. Or there's people way in the past, like John Tukey, who can you know sort of get that original credit of just using the word data analysis and exploratory data analysis, right? Right. right. Um, and that was back in 19 I don't know 50s or something. Yeah. 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 Totally. So no right answer, um, but you will hear people take credit for it. And when they do, you can just <laughs> kind of shake your head. And, right. Or right. get to know. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I think also part of getting into data science and just like navigating it is like learning how people in different domains say the exact same thing with different words. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, some people are calling it data science. Some people are calling it statistics. Some people are calling it machine learning. And it's like, okay, sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes it's just like, oh, this is what someone in this specific domain is referring to the exact same thing that someone in a different domain is calling. If it's someone's calling it data science, someone's calling it statistics, right? Someone's calling it computer science. It's like, oh, maybe you're maybe you're talking about something that's the exact same. So, yeah. Here's a, here's another one, right? So this one's a true or false, and we can talk about 
why or why not? Um, so the question is, true or false, deep learning should be used for most problems, right? Because it's the most powerful algorithm that we have in data science. You think that's true or false? I'm going to go with false, but I'm not quite sure why. I just intuitively. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's it. So um, okay. maybe Robert, yeah. why, why do you think? Right. Well, okay. So one thing I. What issues do you have with this statement? Yeah. <laughs> so, first off, yes, you're right. Um, so, one thing I try to teach all my students is in machine learning or really with any data analysis, there is never like an always right or always wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that bothers a lot of students because yeah. they want to know the, oh right, my God. the right way to do things. They want it. They want it. It's like, <laughs> tell me how I need to yeah. do this. Like, I don't know. We are figuring that out. Yeah. We, it's, <laughs> you have all these methods to figure it out, but like there's not a ground truth. No, nope. right? nothing always works all of the time mm-hmm. when it comes to machine learning. And so, of course, that applies to deep learning as well. Um, deep learning is useful for certain problems, right? And for others, it's not, you know, and mm-hmm. it kind of just boils down to that. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, what assumptions are we making about the architecture or about the, the what assumptions come with the model that we're going to use, right? Like maybe you could try to do deep learning, but it's like, oh, actually linear regression will work just fine. Linear regression is awesome because it's super simple. I can interpret it. I have a, we know so much about it. Whereas like, okay, you could have done this with deep learning, but then you've just overcomplicated it. You've made a really, really difficult thing to understand and interpret and you don't know when it's going to break, right? Like yeah. um, we know a lot of, things about when linear regression starts to break down and what what issues it can cause. And like, that's the cool and kind of scary thing about deep deep learning is like, we don't know a lot of this stuff yet. We're still figuring it out and learning how to slice it and look at the right angles to make it make sense to a person, right? Yeah, that was one of the things that in my like AI and philosophy class that was again brought up in my, the next one I took by that same professor was that when things are too opaque, it's mm. very scary because, yeah, yeah you, you need to be able to know when it w- went wrong and how it went wrong and how to fix it in the future. And if you can't, then that will not only waste time and stuff, but it will also cause a lot of cause a lot of harm to the people that you're building the technology for. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think one thing specifically is like the a lot of the social media algorithms when they first came out, I don't think they were intended to... Like they were intended to be a tool, and mm-hmm. and and I think they are to some extent. But if if they're going to start making predictions and start making like inferences on on human behavior, and then change human behavior in a way that the user might not be completely aware of, mm-hmm. it's it's scary because you can't go back and be like, okay, well, why is all this more like reactionary or more just like yeah, you get sucked into your phone, or, or especially especially people my age, I feel like right. it's if you can't go back and explain why your algorithms are choosing the things that they're choosing, especially since all of us have different content on our phones, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it becomes like a, a scary problem that will affect people's behavior drastically. Yeah. And especially like if you start to do any sort of, if you want to have like checks and balances on things, like let's mm-hmm. say, okay, it's an industry where like we have to make laws about these types of models because they might do things that are illegal or like they they might discriminate against like federally protected classes or they might have adverse effects that we don't even know about right right then you have to think about the interpretability and and being able to really see into the model and that's why it's like okay these tools are sometimes useful but sometimes it's like it's it's totally off the table right can't Mm -hmm. do it it's not gonna work yet maybe one day but right now we're not there definitely any, any more rabbit fire questions? <laughs> no, I think... <laughs> yeah, thank you for playing our yeah, game. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
So, uh, yeah, what are your plans now for the future? You're wrapping up senior year, so what's next? Yeah, I am wrapping up senior year. Well, I'll be working with you for the next yes, few, yeah. few, yeah. few, yep, few months. You. But, no, I'm I'm applying to master's schools, so that kind of starts, like, tomorrow. Good and, luck. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And I'll probably – that will go into the spring. But I guess seeing, seeing the outcome of that will depend on what I do in June because I'm kind of simultaneously applying to both – Grad schools and also like post grad jobs and stuff. Oh. Um, in case I okay. get a backup, because I would love to stay in the Bay, but that's not super realistic if I don't have like a set plan as of like probably spring around there. So yeah. everything's kind of up in the air, but I would definitely love to either, uh, I might even go home and just like research and stuff if I don't like on my own time do projects and things that, that I find interesting if mm-hmm. I don't go to grad school. But yeah. Are, are you options. thinking industry, data science, or government, nonprofit? I would research. love to, like, ideally, like, way down the line, I'd love to work on a political campaign and, like, use data to predict citizens, like, citizens' behavior, who they're going to vote for. Oh. And, yeah, I, I, the political realm really interests me and, and how, yeah. to, how to sway people's, like, voting decisions, but in a way that's more ethical than it has done in, been done in the past for sure yeah right yeah. you know uh, nate silver you follow him no i don't who is he okay um 538 he's he's uh i guess creator of 538 right yeah like he became popular um do- during the obama election i think mm-hmm. um yeah. and then he ran this blog at the new york times for a while and it's all about election forecasting right. the 2008 election was one of the first ones that actually implemented a really strategic data yeah data yeah. team yeah and i feel like i don't know which year he did it but like there was one year that i think he blew up like he got really famous because he mm. used statistical modeling to predict and he got like the election map like everything right yeah it's like oh wow okay that's cool yeah, that's see, that's fascinating to me mm-hmm. i love that kind of stuff oh, there you go so yeah. 538 yeah you gotta look that up okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so i think now we were just gonna um turn yeah. things over to you and yeah. if you had any questions for us we'd be happy to answer for sure well, one that I was really curious about is like the technology is developing so quickly, even in like the four years I've been in at my undergrad. It's like new languages and, and some are getting outdated and things mm-hmm. like this. Like, how do you stay up to date if you're if you're teaching, if you're researching? Like, do you spend your own time kind of catching up with this or is this something that maybe is built into your like the university has you do? Yeah, I'll start. Yeah. Um, no, I don't spend my own time on any of that mm-hmm. um, anymore. I think it's just something that comes with age and not being that like super energetic and eager motivated data scientist that you know that young data scientist who wants to impress Mm -hmm. so i sort of refuse to do work in my off work hours and i have a family too right so i got got plenty i got plenty of other things to do yes yeah yeah for sure but being a teacher um you know yeah it's tricky because some teachers can kind of fall into that trap of getting, you know, they, they teach the same course over and over again. So they uh, they kind of set it in a certain way. And once they're happy with it, you know, they teach the same thing. Um, this program won't definitely won't allow us to do that mm-hmm. because every student we get is very highly motivated. They are that energetic, highly motivated student who wants to yeah. learn all the new things and they're That's expecting right. us to, to teach them. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's sort of built into when I prep the material for teaching. That's how I try to keep up to date. Yeah, same, same teaching and with the practicums, right? I'm having to learn new things. I'm having to figure things out because they always call for something different, right? And so, you know, it'd be nice if I knew everything, but that never happens, right? We have to figure it out. And, and at the same time, I think that's the, one of the nice things about in the data science program in particular, like because some of this stuff is so new, when I'm teaching a class, a student will ask a question and be like, I don't know. 
but what about y'all does anyone know this right. one and sometimes yeah. the students will be able to like yep. teach the rest of the class and me and that's like that's such a good feeling right because it just shows you like wow everyone has such different knowledge and like it's not really it it, it makes it feel much more of like this class is our thing. We all contribute to it. We all steer it. And so yeah, I think that's just something to sit that the students should realize when they're like taking class. Like this is you get to take ownership. You get to you get to help contribute to it in whatever way you want. And and that that's you have power, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Does the like imposter syndrome ever go away? Like, do you ever feel like you are sufficiently knowledgeable in the position you position you are in? Or is there always kind of that? that I could, I could know more. Mm, I feel like it's like yes and no. Like, I don't know if it totally ever goes away, but I get better at coping with it and doing okay. it and telling it to like, shut up. <laughs> right. Because like, I don't know. Sometimes you can just feel like, of course it's like, okay, there's so much to know. And like, yeah. I want to be the best at doing it. I want to be the best at explaining it. Right. So of course we have that, that like nagging feeling like, okay, I got to keep going. But then at the same time, it's like, Sometimes you just have like demonstrable success or like you feel like, oh, I'm in my element. I'm doing the right thing. And it's mm-hmm. like, OK, all of those experiences and just like, you know, general meditation, like what emotions and what feelings are useful for me to keep going? Yeah. When you when you start to, you know, get further into it, it's like those become like your tools to fight off the imposter syndrome to right. me. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think um, I've just accepted the fact that in my new role here, I won't. Oh, yeah, I won't always have the answer, right? Yeah, and yeah, that yeah, I will totally. have to constantly learn. And so I don't feel like I have imposter syndrome now. Whereas right. when I was a manager of a data science team, um, that is how I felt yeah. most of the time. Um, you know, I really did not think I was a good manager, um, and so yeah, I felt it a lot worse in my previous role. Not so much as a individual contributor, data scientist, you know, like, again, when I was like, super young and, and eager, and I just thought I knew everything, right? That's how I felt back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Obviously, you know, obviously yeah. looking, looking back on that, I'm really embarrassed by it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as I grew in my career and, and got more responsibility, that's when it started to creep in. Yeah. And But now, yeah, it, with what I'm doing now, I've, I've, I've just accepted that this is the role, this is how yeah. I'm expected to be, and so... Right. And so I feel okay, you know, like, totally you know, feel comfortable with it. It's about like having the right understanding of what we're being asked to do and also the right understanding of ourselves. Like you have to be nice to yourself. Otherwise you're not yeah. going to be able to do it. Like, yeah. so definitely, yeah. yeah. How about you, Hadley? Do you, do you ever feel like that? Or like, what do you find is useful? Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, much definitely in the first two years, but at USF it's, it's different. The, the community so welcoming and even because the major program is smaller here mm-hmm. I'm closer with my peers and we, and we just we talk more about even like the things that are worrying us more than mm-hmm. I would at maybe a bigger school yeah um like one of my one of my friends says all the time like I'll I'll say like oh like I don't I don't feel like I know enough or like I'll say like oh potential data scientist or whatever and, and i'll get corrected he'll be like no 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 like you're learning the stuff that you're supposed yeah. to be learning like you can call yourself like totally. what you, like what you are like like being humble is great but also yeah, exactly, acknowledging yeah. and giving ourselves exactly. credit for what we're doing exactly is also great and like recognizing that like you when you finish classes it's like okay like that's you you worked hard you you've mm-hmm. taken something away from this class as opposed to just like keeping your head down and not yeah. necessarily acknowledging not not looking back and and recognizing the skills that you've taken away from those classes yeah yeah totally i would say like one thing too just to think about like 
yeah, when we're talking about ourselves and we're talking about like, you know, dealing with these imposter syndromes or potential insecurities is like, I think it's important to realize like we tell people how to view us and where to put us in their mind with our language. Like Certainly. when we talk down to ourselves or like talk down about ourselves, you're telling someone that's what you should think of me. When yeah. we say, when we say like, when we speak on equals, like, you know, even if it's like, okay, you're the professor or you're the student or you're the manager and you're the employee. It's like, when we speak as equals, it's like, you're telling me where to put you and you're telling me like what I can do. So it's really important to pay attention to that. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you so much, Hadley, for coming. I had a yeah, great time you. with this conversation. I thank feel you like for it was having me. So this awesome. is, yeah, very fun. I yeah, it's it. good good to get to know you more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to working with you next semester. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, okay, thank cool. You for having me. See you next time.